0: Well, hey, everybody, I want to welcome all of you watching today. I'm really thankful to have this chance to share this particular message with you. We're going to deal with a topic that is very personal for me. We're going to talk about anxiety and stress and worry, but we're also going to talk about peace and joy and the presence of God. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we're in a series called Indestructible Joy we're reading Paul's letter to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi. And in this letter, the theme of joy shows up over and over again. Now, I have read the book of Philippians many times in my life. But you know, whenever I go back to a part of the Bible that I think I'm familiar with, an amazing thing happens. Almost every time I see something that I've never seen before. That happened again this week. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But first. I want to read just four verses from Philippians chapter 4. This is the passage we'll focus on today. So let's dive in. In Philippians 4, 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says a lot in these four verses, but I want to start by taking a closer look at verse 6. And this is a famous quote from Paul. This is where he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, Paul hits on a very relevant topic here, doesn't he? Anxiety is a huge issue in our country right now. This week I saw a statistic that's kind of alarming. Here in 2020, about a third of Americans deal with symptoms of stress or anxiety, according to the National Center for Health Statistics. So one out of three people. Of course, the coronavirus has only made things worse, but. Anxiety has been a growing problem for quite a while. Just over a year ago, I took a three-month sabbatical, and during my time away, I visited 12 different churches. And it was very interesting. Of the 12 churches I visited, four of the sermons were specifically about stress, anxiety, burnout, or mental health in general. I had no idea what they'd be preaching about ahead of time. And at the end of my sabbatical, I remember thinking, wow, this problem seems to be an epidemic. Of course, you probably know that already. There's a very good chance that you either know someone who struggles with anxiety, or you're struggling yourself. And I wanna take a second to map this out. First, let me give you a definition. Anxiety is the present emotion of inner turmoil produced by the uncertainty of the future. Now that mental state can lead to all kinds of issues. It can lead to symptoms that feel very serious. There are actually hundreds of possible symptoms, but I'll give you just a few examples. A person with an anxiety disorder may experience headaches, muscle pain, sleep disturbance, tightness in the head or the neck, chest pain, ringing in the ears, excessive sweating, shaking, trembling, cold chills, hot flashes, accelerated heart rate, numbness, tingling, upset stomach, nausea, shortness of breath, dizziness, feeling faint, feeling like you're going insane, or a fear of impending doom. If any of that is you, you may have anxiety. Actually, in the past 30 seconds, I may have given you anxiety. If so, sorry about that. But seriously, this is a very real thing. You can have symptoms that feel like you're extremely sick or even dying, but it's all caused by your brain and your body responding to stress. Now, if you've never experienced anything like this, I would ask that you be very careful about how you respond to someone who's struggling. Because with all due respect, if you haven't been there, you don't understand. I won't go into much detail about my own story here since I've shared it before. But I will say that as of about three years ago, I do understand. And I've learned that it's not helpful to go to someone with an anxiety disorder and tell them to just stop being anxious. You might mean well, but most of the time, that's not the solution. So what is the solution? Well, I don't have a quick fix for you today. But I do believe the best thing we can do is look to God's word. I do believe the Bible is our source of reliable truth. Now, we just read a passage that deals with this very topic. And what did Paul say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So hold on a second. Paul tells us to pray, and that's good. But he also says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what does Paul mean here? Is he saying, just stop it? If so, what do we do with these instructions? Well, we could take our anxiety and just add a layer of guilt on top of it, but not so fast. I want to share something that is very interesting. And this is what I mentioned earlier. I noticed something in Philippians that I've never seen before. Back in chapter 2, Paul is talking about his friend, Epaphroditus. And the, the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to visit Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. And during that visit, Epaphroditus became very ill. He was actually close to death. But Paul said God had mercy on both of them because Epaphroditus got better. And Paul didn't have to grieve over the loss of his friend. But then look at what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 28. And again, he's writing to the Philippian church, and he says, Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Now, that is fascinating, isn't it? Here's the do-not-be-anxious guy revealing that he was anxious himself. So what's the takeaway here? Well, remember our definition. Anxiety is this inner turmoil produced by the uncertainty of the future. And if we're being honest, everybody feels at least a mild concern about the future now and then. So here's my conclusion. If you struggle with anxiety, that just means you're human. But the good news is, that's not the end of the story. I heard a preacher named Lee Coate explain it this way. He said, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. And I believe he's on to something. I believe there is hope here. We may not be able to eliminate this problem altogether, but we can prevent it from stealing our peace and our joy. And apparently that was the case with Paul. Because if anybody had good reasons to be anxious, it was Paul. We just talked about his friend who almost died, but that's only the beginning. During Paul's lifetime, he was rejected, beaten, imprisoned. He was nearly stoned to death, and he was also shipwrecked. And even as he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, Paul was in chains, waiting to see if he might be executed. And so, yeah, he did have some level of anxiety. He admitted that. But underneath that emotion, he had a deep sense of peace and contentment. He had a solid foundation of indestructible joy. So how do we get to that place? Well, I could do the easy thing. I could go back to verse 6 and tell you, just go pray about it. And that would actually be very good advice. But I don't want to be overly simplistic here. I want to look at this a little more in depth. And I want to be real about what is helpful and what's not helpful. And first we need to recognize that human beings are emotionally and spiritually complex. We operate on multiple levels. Up near the surface, we have this level of feelings and emotions, but down below there is a deeper spiritual level. That's more about the state of your soul. We've talked about this throughout our study of Philippians. We talked about the difference between worldly joy and gospel joy. Worldly joy is up here on the emotional level. When something great happens, you feel this heightened state of happiness. But gospel joy is much deeper. And this is the kind of joy that Paul had, even when his circumstances were terrible, even when he was sad or disappointed or frustrated up here. Beneath all of that, he had this deep indestructible sense of joy. So let's get back to our topic of anxiety. We should recognize that up here on this surface level, the world has lots of different coping mechanisms to help with emotions or symptoms related to stress and anxiety. If you seek out a professional counselor, they'll probably recommend several of these coping mechanisms. For example, they might tell you to build a network of supportive friends. Occasionally, the suggestions are surprisingly simple. I saw a Christian counselor a few years ago, and he gave me an exercise that was fairly helpful, at least for me. He said, if you feel anxious or you have a panic attack, count to five as you slowly breathe in and then count to five again as you breathe out. Like I said, it's very simple, but it's often effective. A professional may also recommend medication to help you deal with anxiety or depression or other mental health issues. This subject used to be sort of taboo in the church, but years ago, I heard a great explanation from a friend of mine who struggled with depression. She said, for me, medication was similar to how you might treat a broken bone. You have to set the broken bone so it can heal properly. And she said, My medication was a way to set my emotional state. It allowed me to think straight so I could deal with my deeper spiritual issues. I believe that's true. At the same time though, we need to be realistic about what these coping mechanisms can and cannot do. One great example is music. Research has shown that music can have a very positive impact on your mental health. And instead of just talking about this, I wanna give you a demonstration. I made a list of several songs that tell you to let go of your worry and your anxiety. I'm going to play a few of them for you, and then we can do a little evaluation. I've got a short medley of three different songs. So here we go. Don't worry about a thing. Cause every little thing is gonna be alright Don't you worry about a thing Cause every little thing is gonna be alright Cause every little thing is gonna be alright Hakuna Matata What a wonderful phrase Hakuna Matata No passing craze It means no worries For the rest of the days It's our problem-free Philosophy Hakuna Matata ah, ooh. It's our problem-free Philosophy don't worry, be happy now. <laughs> do not worry, be happy now. do. <laughs> so there you go. I am not a professional musician by any means, but I do love singing and playing the guitar. That has been extremely therapeutic for me over the years. And I really like all three of these songs. The first one is a Bob Marley song. The last one is by Bobby McFerrin. And of course, Hakuna Matata is from The Lion King. They're all kind of happy, kind of relaxing, and they are helpful up here on that emotional level So would I recommend playing this kind of music when you're feeling stressed? Absolutely. However, let's think about that deeper spiritual level. Can these songs have a positive effect on the state of your soul? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at the lyrics. Because music can make you feel good, but lyrics will either point you to the truth, or they'll lead you away from the truth. Case in point, Bob Marley said, every little thing is gonna be all right. Is that true? Is it true that everything's going to be okay? Uh, What reason do we have to believe that? Or how about Hakuna Matata? According to that song, the phrase no worries is a problem-free philosophy. So if we just declare that we have no problems, will they all just go away? That's an important question. Finally, there's the Bobby McFerrin song, and he actually makes a great observation. He says, in every life, we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. That is very true, isn't it? But then what solution does he give? He says, at the end of the day, just don't worry. Make the choice to be happy. Ah, if it were only that simple, Bobby, because here's the reality. There's no such thing as a problem-free life. Just look around. This world is full of sorrow and suffering and death. We've got injustice, racism, violent crime, sickness, tragic accidents, and children dying of something as simple as hunger. And that's just the world around us. There's also the reality about your own life. There will come a day when you will die, and no amount of positive thinking will prevent that. And on a much greater scale, there will come a day when the sun goes dark, human civilization will be wiped out which means every accomplishment based in this world is only temporary. So what do Bob Marley, Bobby McFerrin, and the Lion King have to say about that? Well, here's what they're saying. Just ignore or deny the deeper issue. And this is the message that you'll find in much of the world. If you want to avoid anxiety, just don't think. And I can see where that mindset comes from there is a growing number of people who have adopted a secular humanist worldview. That view says, there is no God, we're all here by accident. But if you follow that belief to its logical conclusion, you end up in a very disturbing place. I'll give you an example. Oliver Wendell Holmes served on the U.S. Supreme Court around 100 years ago. Now, this is the highest court in our nation. And you would hope that a Supreme Court justice would have a strong moral compass and a clear sense of right and wrong. But Holmes was one of those people who believed we're all here by accident. And here's where that worldview took him. He said, My bet is that we have not the kind of cosmic importance that the preachers and philosophers teach. I see no reason for attributing to a man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or to a grain of sand. Did you catch that? According to Oliver Wendell Holmes, you have no more value than a grain of sand. And because of that, Holmes would tell you we only have one purpose in life. The only reason to do anything is self-interest. Just get what you can out of this life because you don't have any real meaning, someday you'll be gone. Someday this whole world will be gone. So just try to grab as much happiness as you can. Try to avoid as much pain as you can. Now let's think about that for a second. This is the logical conclusion of a very popular worldview. The only purpose we have is to be as happy as possible. And if it makes you happy to gain wealth or status or the perfect family, go after that. If it makes you happy to go out and be kind and compassionate and try to leave this world a better place, then sure, go after that too. But here's the problem. What happens when happiness escapes you? What happens when you can't avoid pain? Because you know, that's the reality for everyone. Every life has its share of sadness and suffering. And if you believe this life is all that there is, that sadness and suffering is devastating because you are failing at the only thing that matters. There is no greater meaning to your pain. And now we're down to the core of the issue. If your only hope is to get what you can out of this life, and you have no hope of a life that goes beyond death and stretches into an eternity, that creates anxiety that sinks deep into your soul. So yeah, you could understand somebody saying, well, let's just ignore that reality. Don't think about it. But do you see what God gives us? He offers a peace that transcends understanding. But it's not the blind peace of living in denial. God says, I'm the only one who gives meaning to your life. I'm the only one who gives meaning to your suffering. The world says, don't think. But God says, do think. And we see that right here in Philippians 4. When we read beyond verse 7, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is the goal. Don't just empty your mind of negative thoughts. Fill your mind with the truth. And that's the first item on this list, isn't it? Whatever is true, think about such things. And when we direct our minds toward God's truth, where does that lead us? What's well, there in verse 9? And the peace of God will be with you. What's the opposite of anxiety? The opposite of anxiety is peace. So this is the help that we need on that deeper spiritual level. Remember, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. But we're not done yet. If we're going to fill our minds with God's truth, we need to define that truth more specifically. And from a big picture, bird's eye view of the Bible, the best truth we can focus on is the gospel itself. It's the true story of a God who loves us, even though we made a complete mess of our lives and a complete mess of the world. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to come and die in your place. He died for you. And when you accept the gift of God's grace and you give your life to Jesus, you can know that you are forgiven and free and you have the promise of living with God forever So that's the big picture truth of the gospel. But the Bible also has hundreds and hundreds of specific truths along the way. We see that in today's passage. Let's back up and read verses four to seven again. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mentioned that Paul says a lot in these verses, and now we're ready to take a closer look. First, I want to focus on that little phrase in verse 5. The Lord is near. When you really believe that in the core of your soul, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? When you're stressed or afraid or freaked out by the uncertainty of the future, it is such a comfort to know that God is truly with you. It's such a comfort to know that God is not just by your side, He's also on your side. And if you've given your life to Jesus, that's a promise. You can focus on this truth even if you're in the middle of a panic attack, even if your surface level emotions are like waves on a stormy sea, you can think about this promise that God has not left you alone and he will not leave you alone. He's truly with you. So that's already helpful, but we also need to go back to verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, like I said earlier, it would be easy to read this verse and say, stop being anxious, just go pray instead. And again, that's good advice, but let's pause to admit something for a second. Have you ever brought a request to God, but then you didn't get what you asked for? And I'm not talking about praying to win the lottery or anything like that. I'm talking about praying for good things, like asking God to heal someone you love, asking God to restore your marriage. I'd say the vast majority of us have experienced disappointment in prayer. And when you pray and you don't get the answer you hoped for, you might just say, well, what's the point? Why even pray in the first place? And from there, you may read a verse like this and say, yeah, I know I should pray, but I've learned not to get my hopes up. Well, let's not throw in the towel here. A preacher named Tim Keller helped me think about this verse in a completely new way. He said, here's how we normally think about praying to God with thanksgiving. We think of a specific pattern. First, you make a request. Second, you get what you asked for. And finally, you thank God for doing what you asked. But Keller says, no, we need to let God be God. We need to stop assuming that we know what's best. So here's what the pattern should look like. First, you thank God as you make the request. And then you thank God for whatever he's going to do. There's a key difference here, right? The difference is trust. It's trusting that God is truly good. It's trusting that he knows exactly what's best. So give God the benefit of the doubt. Trust that when we go to him with a request, He will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. And that's what faith is. It's knowing what's true about God and then staking your life on that truth. Some of you have heard of Rick Warren. He's a well-known preacher and an author. You may also know of Rick's wife, Kay. A while back, I learned that Kay struggled with anxiety. And one of her issues was that she was a hypochondriac some kind of symptom would show up, and she would immediately jump to the conclusion that she had something very serious and she was probably gonna die. At least a few of us know what that's like, don't we? Well, over time and through her relationship with Christ, Kay began to develop a habit in those moments of anxiety. She said, I made the decision to choose faith first and then fear. I love that she's being realistic here. She's not saying that she won't ever be afraid again. She's just reminding herself to put faith ahead of that fear. Well, we're coming to the end of this series and I wanna summarize what we've learned. The passage we read today shows us the path to peace. And this is a peace that transcends understanding. It is a deep foundational peace that may not make sense to the rest of the world. And when you have this peace, which can only come from God, you know what else you're gonna have? You're gonna have joy. You can be in the middle of suffering, the middle of pain, but you can still smile in the midst of it all. We've talked about the difference between worldly joy and gospel joy, and I want to close by going back to that definition of gospel joy. We said that gospel joy is, number one, the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Second, it's the quiet confidence that ultimately God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And finally, it's the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And when you have this kind of joy, Bob Marley's song becomes true. You can say with confidence that in the end, everything is going to be all right. But you can't find that joy outside of a relationship with Jesus. And if you need to begin that relationship if you need to leave your old life behind, be baptized into Christ, and live a new life with a new hope, I encourage you to make that decision. I encourage you to reach out to someone who can help you become a follower of Jesus. And you could start that conversation by going to plumcreek.org slash connect. But as we wrap up this sermon and this series, let's remember the truths that we've seen over the past few weeks. Remember that Underneath my ever-changing emotions on the surface, I can have a foundation of peace through Christ. And I can also have indestructible joy through Christ. That is good news. Very, very good news. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what your word says. I thank you that we can cast all our anxiety on you. And we can do that because you care for us. So Lord, I pray that we will go to you and find that peace that transcends understanding. I pray that we will go to you and find that joy that is indestructible. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.